Well, good morning. Welcome again to Christ Central. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors, and I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for choosing to be with us this morning. Those of you who are here in person and all of you who are online, we're glad uh, that you're worshiping together today. Uh, Happy 2022 uh, to you. Uh, I'm thankful for a new year. I don't know about you, but I'm excited for us as a church to move into this new year as the family of God, as the people of God in this place that he's called us to be as we seek to live for his glory and as we seek the flourishing and the, and the renewal of all things in and through Jesus. Uh, I do want to encourage you, as if you missed what Timothy said earlier, uh, if you uh, have been connecting with us on Sunday morning uh, primarily uh, and have not connected further into the life of our church, uh, let me just encourage you to, to take a step uh, and join a city group or a women's and men's Bible study or the spiritual uh, formation class that starts next Sunday uh, as a way just to, to take a, a step further into the, our, our community, get to know us and us get to know you. Uh, all of these are great opportunities uh, as we begin the new year together. Uh, this morning we are starting a new sermon series in Second Corinthians. Uh, it's going to be a 12-week series at this this letter uh, of Second Corinthians. It's a book of the Bible that I've personally uh, really come to love. I spent a lot of my sabbatical this past summer reading and meditating in 2 Corinthians. And the Lord really used it to minister to my soul, and I pray he's going to continue to do so. Uh, And I'm praying that he transforms all of us uh, through his living and active word as we look in his word together every Sunday. Uh, I want to start by giving you a little bit of context for this letter. Uh, The Apostle Paul is the author of both 1 and 2 Corinthians. And Paul's relationship with the Corinthians, it's quite complex and complicated. You see, Paul was used by God to plant the church in Corinth. And Paul leaves Corinth, and then he gets a report that things are not going so holy in Corinth. That this church is filled with dysfunction, sin, rebellion, discord. And so Paul writes them a letter, which is 1 Corinthians. And the church did not receive his letter very well. They pushed back against Paul, and so he made another visit, a painful visit, uh, that he calls uh, that this visit, he calls it a painful visit in 2 Corinthians. And, and so he then leaves Corinth again and writes 2 Corinthians to them. And he's writing this time to assure them of his love and of his commitment to them. 2 Corinthians is one of Paul's most heartfelt letters. His heart really does break for this church. He left his last visit wounded, right? It's a painful visit. And so he writes with a tone of injured love with deep affection. He's also writing to assure them of his authenticity as an apostle, as an apostle of God. He, he's defending his ministry because there was a growing questioning of Paul as an apostle because Paul was so unlike any leader the Corinthians had ever experienced or even believed a leader should be. And to understand why that's the case, I think we need to understand a little bit more about the city of Corinth itself. Corinth was an extremely important city in ancient Greece. It was a large and beautiful city, second only to Rome in its time. It would be like Chicago or San Francisco if Rome was New York City. Corinth was popular because it was a place of opportunity. It was a young city. It was conducive for economic growth and advancement. It attracted ethnic diversity from far and wide. It had a sports and entertainment culture. Corinth was this bustling, vibrant, growing city. And Corinth was a place for the successful, the wealthy, the powerful, the good-looking. It had a self-made ethos to it. 
And Paul was nothing like this. Paul was not impressive. He was weak. He was despised. He preached that it was his weakness that qualified him as a leader. Paul preached the paradox of the gospel, that it is through death that one experiences resurrection. True power is in weakness. The 16th century reformer Martin Luther made a distinction between a theology of glory versus a theology of the cross. A theology of glory is the belief that God shows his trustworthiness by handing out pleasure, prosperity, and freedom from suffering for those who are righteous. And a theology of the cross discovers God hidden in suffering. And a theology of glory has the logic that power, money, and pleasure are the things of greatness. And a theology of the cross teaches that the kingdom of God is upside down. That God is most present in the dark moments of our lives. And the Corinthians were beginning to believe a theology of glory. And Paul is preaching a theology of the cross. That we are saved not in spite of weakness, but in and through weakness. That it is in the loss of power and death and suffering that God's power is made known to us and through us to the world. Power in weakness. And so let's jump in together. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 together. I'm going to ask you if you're able to go ahead and stand as we give attention to God's word together. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our, all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we ask that you would speak. Speak, O Lord. Give us ears to hear, hearts softened, hearts fertile to, re to receive and have your word planted deep within so that we might bear fruit, having heard you speak to us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Thank you that you're with us. Holy Spirit, illumine the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, if you've been around Christ Central for a little bit of time, you've heard us talk about a book and a small group curriculum called Voice of the Heart. 
The men's Bible study used it this past fall, and it's become a major part of our curriculum for spiritual formation over the past seven years. And I always kind of laugh to myself during the first study. The first study is on the emotion of hurt. And the second question of the first study, so this is a question asked maybe 10 minutes into being together for the first time. Now, granted, some people come, come prepared, hopefully, having thought through this question already. But here's the question. Looking across the span of your life up until now, what are the 10 most painful events that you have experienced? Talk about an immediate deep dive as a small group, right? Especially for some men who aren't always the best at talking about our hearts. But let that question settle for a second with you this morning. Looking across the span of your life, when and where have you experienced deep pain and suffering? Now, the point of Voice of the Heart and the point of me asking you that question this morning is not just for us to solely name the pain, though that's the beginning, but to move us to asking the question, what have I done with my pain? How have I responded to my pain and suffering? There's a, a, question, uh, there's a song that I've been listening to on repeat for the past few years uh, that gets at what we're tempted to do with our pain and suffering. It's by a musical artist, songwriter, Travis Meadows. The song is titled Sideways. Listen to what he sings. Push it down, it comes out sideways. Push it down, it comes out sideways. And it came out through the bottle. It came out through my fists. It came out way too early. I wish it never did. Push it down, it comes out sideways. And it comes out in my silence. It, sometimes unwanted tears comes out disguised as anger, but it's really fear push it down, it comes out sideways. When our pain and suffering come into our life, it's quite natural for us to want to push it down, to escape, to numb, to wish it away. And so we turn to anything we think of, the internet, television, carbohydrates, exercise, sleep, staying up late, wine, chocolate, work, social media, it's not just the standard addictions of sex, alcohol, and drugs. We have become a society medicating on all types of things. The, the list of addictions is so long, it's almost impossible to name them all. Now, here's the reality. When we face dark moments of pain and suffering, all of us long for comfort. And the growing list of things I just mentioned, they are just short-term comforts. They do help us push down our pain and we get reprieved for a moment, but our pain and suffering will ultimately come out sideways. And what the Apostle Paul is writing about in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians is an invitation to face our pain and suffering, to face our darkness, and in doing so, God meets us there. And in his presence, we are offered long-term comfort, true comfort. We're going to look at two things together this morning. We're going to look at the positive dance of suffering and comfort. And secondly, the blessings of suffering and comfort. Let's look first at the positive dance of suffering and comfort. Author Tish Warren uses that phrase, the positive dance of suffering and comfort, about 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in her wonderful book, Prayer in the Night. Holly recommend that book. In this passage that we just read, suffering or trouble is used seven times. Comfort is used ten times. Paul is making it clear that suffering and comfort positively dance together. 
Paul is writing in a way that assumes suffering. He doesn't say if suffering, rather when suffering comes. Suffering in the human life is inevitable. And the Corinthians didn't want to believe this. They viewed suffering as a curse. And in the ancient world, suffering was a sign of divine displeasure. And so the Corinthian Christians were buying hook, line, and sinker into a theology of glory. And this is one of the reasons they questioned Paul's authenticity as an apostle. Because Paul's life was marked by suffering. He experienced the cold and nakedness, beatings, imprisonments, criminal assault, shipwreck, betrayal, desolation, desertion, and so much more. And he mentions something extremely painful in our text in verses 8 to 9. No one knows exactly what Paul is referring to in verses 8 to 9, but listen again to how he talks about his pain and suffering. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul was unbearably crushed by this suffering has the meaning of of a boat with so much load that it's beginning to sink. It sounds like Paul is experiencing a a nervous breakdown. In essence, he's saying, I was ready to give up on life. Have you felt this way before? Ready to give up on life? Many of us have. And I know all of us have felt crushed by suffering. Some of you feel crushed right now. Look at verse 5 again. Paul says as Christians, we will share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. I don't know about you, but this is where I'm tempted to believe a theology of glory. Because I like the thought of sharing in Christ's victory and in Christ's power. I want to share in his glory, but to abundantly share in his suffering. But catch what Paul is saying. Paul is saying suffering and comfort positively dance. That suffering is actually the doorway into the comfort of God. Suffering is the doorway into the presence of God. That when we suffer, we are in a special position to know the wounds of Christ and the comfort of God. That our suffering is not an obstacle to overcome or something to push down, but rather it is a doorway into deeper communion with God if we will face it. I didn't know until recently, that there's an entire class of flowers that only bloom at night. Moonflowers, evening primroses, and other night bloomers that can only be glimpsed in full glory if you venture out into and after dark. There are things in our spiritual lives that will only bloom in the dark that will only bloom in the midst of pain and suffering. There is a beauty that God forges in our lives in dark moments. When I think about spiritual influences in my life, people that are dead or alive, people that I admire, that I want to be around because of what they say or what they write or how they live, people who have deep power and impact in my life, there are people who've suffered, have experienced tragic loss, They've struggled with addiction. They've wrestled with depression and loneliness. They've experienced betrayal. They are beautiful people through their suffering. And I always find myself saying, is there another way to be transformed to be like them besides suffering? 
But the older I get, the more I am certain there is no other way. There are things in our spiritual lives that will only bloom in the dark. The doorway to comfort and to God's presence, to God's grace and to God's power is our pain. Suffering and comfort positively dance together in the Christian life. Let's look secondly at the blessings of suffering and comfort. Now, as I speak about the blessings, please do not hear me trying to be curt with the age-old question of why suffering. I'm not trying to be flippant with your pain and with your suffering. And I don't always think we can know why the suffering. I think it's an understandable question for the Christian, an understandable question for the skeptical non-Christian to ask. God, if you're good, why suffering? God, where are you? It feels like you've left me. It feels like divine displeasure and punishment are being doled out on me. Maybe you've heard before, but one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. Prayers that, are, that give words and voice to the confusion and pain uh, and suffering that we endure in this world. We are encouraged as Christians to be honest and to pray honestly before God. I love what Tish Warren writes. She says, the problem of suffering is not a cosmic algebra equation where we can simply solve for X. It is almost primordial, a scream, an ache, a protest from the depths of the human heart. The Bible teaches us that pain and suffering are an ache that opens us up to the presence and comfort of God. And our passage gives us two blessings of suffering and comfort. Look at the first one in verse 9. Paul says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. A blessing is deeper dependence and communion with God. It is through suffering that we get to the end of ourselves. It is through suffering that the self is stripped away, that we can no longer rely on our intellect, on our resources, and our own power, and the only place to turn is to God. And we learn to see with new eyes, to see in the dark. And in the dark, we learn to see light, hope, God himself. An ancient church father, St. Isaac the Syrian, called this deep communion with God through suffering vision of soul. I like that, vision of soul. And vision of soul is often taught to, a, to us by our brothers and sisters who are well acquainted with suffering. It's the gift of the African American church in North America. It's the gift of our brothers and sisters suffering right now in China, in Afghanistan, in Nigeria. It's those who understand that being in solidarity with Jesus means taking up the cross and bearing the pain of others and experiencing misunderstanding and hostility, painfully obeying Jesus when it hurts, willingly dying to selfishness and sin. And as we live in solidarity with Jesus, we see with a vision of soul, eyes of faith that believe that in Jesus we have all we could ever want. We have his presence, his grace, his power, and we are part of a kingdom that is not of this world. Martin Luther King Jr., who we're going to celebrate in eight days, suffered greatly in his life, and he expressed this vision of soul, new eyes of faith in his speech in Memphis, Tennessee, on the night before he was assassinated. Listen to what King said. He said, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. 
Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That is vision of soul. Deep dependence on God, new eyes to see with faith. The second blessing of suffering and comfort is seen in verses 4 and verse 6. Look at verse 4. Paul says, so that we may comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 6, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. The blessing is that we are comforted by God so that we can comfort others. We may not always know the answer to the why of suffering, but we can trust that the Lord always wants to use the comfort we receive through our suffering in the lives of other people. Bishop Paul Barnett says, God's comfort does not terminate in the one who receives it. God's intent is to fill us up with his comfort so that we can spill out his comfort into the lives of other people. Go back to the question from Voice of the Heart. Looking across the span of your life, when and where have you experienced deep pain and suffering? I would wager to say if you're a Christian, God met you in your times of pain and suffering. And you found comfort from him. And then somewhere along the way, you've been able to comfort someone who's going through something similar. I know that's true in my life. And I know countless stories of this being true. Someone who has had extremely difficult family relationships, comforting a person who's going through a hard family relationship. Someone who's had a child go wayward, comforting a family or a parent with a wayward child. A woman who's experienced infertility, comforting another woman going through infertility. Someone who's lost their job, comforting someone who's about to lose their job. Someone who went through a divorce, comforting someone who's going through a divorce, someone diagnosed with cancer, comforting someone who's just been diagnosed with cancer. The Christian life is a cycle of comfort. We are comforted so we can comfort others. We are filled up so that we can pour out into the lives of others. Earlier I mentioned the songwriter Travis Meadows. I've been listening to his song on repeat. The reality is, is that I've been receiving comfort from his words and from his song. Let me tell you a little bit about his life. At the age of two, he watched his baby brother drown. And his parents would soon after get divorced. His dad would remarry and start a new family in the same city as Travis went to live with his grandparents. And he was always wondering why he wasn't good enough to be a part of that family. At the age of 11, he started using drugs. At the age of 14, he was diagnosed with cancer. He would eventually beat cancer, but not without losing part of his right leg. He began to play drums and the guitar in high school, and then in his 20s, he became a Christian. He became a pastor, and for the next 17 years, he would preach all across the world. And then Travis would say, preachers fall hard. And he ended up having questions he didn't like the answers to, and so he said, I went back to my old friend, alcohol. Travis would battle his alcoholism for decades, and he's been sober now for the past seven years. 
And he's been writing songs and singing out of the comfort that he had received from God in the midst of his pain and suffering. This is who he says he is on his website. An orphan who turned into a preacher, a preacher who turned into a songwriter, a songwriter who turned into a drunk, a drunk that's learning to be human. And I've been a recipient of this comfort from Travis's words, and he has no idea how much he's comforting me. Because one of the blessings of suffering and comfort is that God uses us in the lives of other people. That what we receive in Christ never terminates with us. It is intended to be offered and poured out into the lives of other people. Paul begins this letter in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Scholars note that Paul is riffing on one of the, the Jewish synagogue benedictions. Centuries old Jewish benediction, but he's, he's centering it on Jesus Christ. And Paul has made it clear to the Corinthians in the years of ministry that he's had with him that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. In fact, that's how he ended his first letter to them in 1 Corinthians. What Paul is declaring is that we have hope in suffering because Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead. That we who share in his suffering, in his death, have hope because we will share in his resurrection. Look at verse 9 as I end. Paul writes again, Indeed, we have felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Paul does not use the past tense, raised the dead. He uses the present tense, raises the dead. We can be certain that because Jesus was literally raised from the dead, God is a God who is able to raise the dead right now. Which means, brothers and sisters, we are a people of hope. No matter what we might endure, no matter what pain and suffering comes our way. Verse 10, on him we set our hope that he will deliver us again. As the people of God, we are not purely optimistic. Optimism can rise out of a denial of our suffering. Optimism comes in statements like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Keep on smiling. No sweat off the back. It could be worse. Hope, on the other hand, rises out of suffering, rises out of feeling crushed. It rises out of facing pain and suffering, not pushing it down, not numbing it, and then being met by the God of all comfort, his grace and his presence and his power, and then God lighting a spark deep in our heart, gifting us a vision of soul, eyes of faith, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so will he raise me from the dead so that I might comfort and offer the grace and love of God to others. Are you accepting the invitation of God to face your pain and suffering? Are you even close enough to God and his word and prayer to let him meet you, to let him fill you up with his presence and grace and love and power? And lastly, will you share what you receive from God with others? Let's pray. Lord, I, I ask that you would meet us and transform us in a deep and profound way in our pain and our suffering, in the dark moments of our lives. Would we, would we experience you more, more deeply and more real than in any other times? 
We thank you that what we receive in you, God, in your presence, and in you, Jesus, and your grace and power, it does not terminate with just us receiving it, but it's intended to go from our life into the world, into the lives of other people. So I pray that we would offer that which we receive in Christ. Thank you that you've been with us now. Meet us as we come to your table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.